Hey guys, it's Morgan here. I want to welcome you to Young Adults Today podcast, where we talk about reaching young adults in our world today. I'm going to toss it over to our hosts, Micah and Josiah Keneally. What's up, guys? We are here today in the studio welcoming you to the Young Adults Today podcast, and we talk about reaching young adults in our world today. I'm joined today by Micah Keneally, my wife and co-host. So, Micah, would you want to introduce our audience to our special guest today? Absolutely. Just a pleasure and an honor. It is Pastor Terry Parkman. For those of you who know that name, have come across that name, we're so excited that he's willing to join us today. So, Terry's actually the next-gen pastor at River Valley Church here in Minneapolis, Minnesota, from youth leadership. Um, in youth institution, to young adults, to emerging leaders. Terry has a desire to work with other leaders in developing a movement that is defined by a generation of influencers who are passionate about Jesus Christ and what he calls this generation to accomplish for his kingdom. So with over 16 years of experience in working with Next Gen, Nothing drives Pastor Terry more than helping this generation discover their purpose, developing them as leaders, and empowering them to step out into the plan of God that he has for their lives. So, Pastor Terry, we are so stinking excited to have you here. We're so excited to see what God does. We know that we he has done a lot in your life, and welcome to the show. How are you feeling? I'm feeling good. It's such an honor to be with the both of you today and to all your listeners as well. Uh, I've been really excited and looking forward to this conversation forever because, you know, the next gen generation is important to, my, to me and to my heart and to my call. And so many times we really qualify that as kids or youth, but the young adult world is the prime place for the next generation to influence the world. So this conversation has been something I've been looking forward to for a long time. Yes, it's so fun and awesome to hear. So I just want to share quickly for the audience. I have met, I met Pastor Terry probably when I was 22. So that's 11 years ago that we go back from North Dakota roots. He's originally from Minot and I'm from Washburn, North Dakota and just got plugged in specifically to your, to your ministry, Pastor Terry, for a short season, um, just in your youth and helping on Wednesday nights and recognizing that for me personally, I was worshiping and not being available like I should have been to the students, knowing that there was nothing for young adults. And I remember Mm -hmm. you and I had met Pastor Terry in the Element Building, and I had said, Pastor Terry, there needs to be something for young adult ministry. And you're like, start something. And I'm like, how do you start something from nothing? Well, start blogging, just start as a Bible study, like giving me all these ideas that I'm like, holy moly, like what does that mean? So it's because of Pastor Terry who had believed in me at that moment when I knew God was stirring something in my heart but couldn't identify it. So it's super fun to know that um, we have that connection and that God did something obviously through your youth ministry, but then I was also able to get connected to some young adult ministry and you really helped push and pioneer something in my heart that I didn't know where to begin. And so Pastor Terry was the start of you know, something that I started praying into. So thank you for that. (laughs) What an honor. I I really appreciate that. I think I just kind of pushed a little domino, but the Holy Spirit did the rest. So I'm glad I got to be a part of the beginning conversations anyway. (laughs) Absolutely. And so Terry, we've gotten to know each other over the past few years, and I'd love for you to just start the conversation by sharing how did you find Jesus and share with our audience of what's your journey of next gen leadership what does that look like wow yeah it's definitely been an adventure if i could sum it up in one word it's an adventure you know i had somebody ask me a couple years back they're like 
what's your dream job? What would that your dream job be? I'm like, I think I'm in it. I, I mean, I, I think I'm living it. How, how much of a blessing is it to where you can realize your dream job is something that you're currently doing? Right. And so uh, for me, it's really been at each stage that the Lord has had me. And, you know, I got saved. I became a believer in Jesus Christ when I was a sophomore in high school. I had a friend of mine who had a locker next to me invite me to church 23 times. She counted 23 times. And, uh, and it's really funny. Uh, she, after the 22nd time, she told me this after the fact, she gave up. She's like, I ain't going to invite him anymore. So she goes to what, who became my youth pastor and said, you know what? Terry isn't going to come to church. I'm tired of asking him. It's not going to work. And our youth pastor said, well, if you're okay with Terry going to hell, then maybe you should just stop where you are right now. And the next time she asked me, I said, sure, I'll come with you to church. And the biggest reason I wanted to go to church is because I was grounded for like six months and didn't want to go home. And that was my get out of jail free card. I was like, hey, the boys about to go to church. And so I, uh, I go to church. And my mom is like, that's the only place you can go. So you better believe I got involved with church. But I went to church and that first, that first night, I felt the presence of God. I saw people who were influencers in my school that I never even knew had a relationship with Jesus there with their hands raised, right. seeking after the Lord. And I said, you know what, there's something real here. And a couple months later, I came to know him. And it's really interesting. It wasn't that night that I gave my life to Jesus, but it was through me being discipled into him uh, through a community of believers that accepted me that made me want to say yes to Jesus. And so after that time, uh, shortly after the Lord called me into youth ministry, um, and then he gave me a heart for um, young adult ministry, and then he gave me a heart for missions, and I'm like, I don't even know what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to just go to Bible college. So uh, there's about an eight-year period where the Lord just put me on a shelf and said, Terry, I want you to grow. And uh, there were certain things that had happened in my life that really kind of led to that as well. But during those eight years, I was spending time writing sermons for people that would never hear them every single week for eight years. Uh, spending time uh, leading teams or leading groups or being a leader in the ministry because I believe that the call of God doesn't happen when you graduate or have a piece of paper from university, but it happens today. It really happens today. Yeah. And so uh, eight years down the road, I uh, got offered a position as the youth pastor at a church in Bismarck, North Dakota called Evangel. Uh, and I was there for about seven years and we saw amazing things happen there. Things that blew... Um, that blew me out of the water when it came to my expectations. Like my expectations were nothing compared to what God wanted to do. And mm -hmm. the things that he did are something that I treasure and cherish. Um, towards the end of my time there, uh, the Lord really started to talk to me about transition. Like you're going to about to change positions, change jobs. And I didn't know if that meant I was done with next gen ministry or not. Right. And after a time of prayer and, and talking to mentors and leaders, I really discovered that God was really calling me back into next gen ministry and River Valley Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota, asked me to come be their lead youth pastor to where I'm not doing the work of the youth ministry, but I'm developing the leaders who are. And since that time, I've been here for about five and a half years, I've gone on to take on youth, um, our internship program, our young adult ministry, and then our kids ministry. So now I oversee everything cradle to career and my next gen calling has really evolved. A lot of people think that calling is one track, one job, one profession. But what I find is that God is faithful to the calling that he's called you to, and that he will ever contextualize it and evolve it into a way you can use it today. And so that's kind of how I landed where I am. I think that's awesome just to hear that it took not just one invitation, but you had somebody in your life 23 times, but then that youth yeah. pastor coming in and is like, hey, are you okay if X, Y, and Z happen? Yeah, you're going to give up on this. So that's just super encouraging, I think, 
for me and just to to bring that forth even to the leaders that we're leading on college campuses or in groups or around the table or whatever that even looks like so that's just awesome Uh, Pastor Terry, you've done a great deal of sociology research and teaching on generational differences, primarily between millennials and Gen Z. Can you give us and our audience a 30-foot overview of what you're seeing? Yeah. You know, what's super unique is that we are, and I'm going to start with this phrase, we uh, have in front of us the world's first global generation. Um, And people are like, well, people have been globally aware for a long time, true, but they haven't been connected globally like they are today. And they all speak one language as well, and it's a digital language. And they find that digital language by what they access through their screens. On average, teenagers and young adults look at their screens from four to eight hours every single day. What that does is the way you access information is it neurologically rewires the way you think and the way you chase information and the kind of information that you digest. So when you're doing that for four to eight hours a day, every single day, and somebody in a third world country or somebody in a country across the world is doing the same thing, language is no longer a barrier because now you embody a deeper language, a neurological framework that makes you think the same as somebody from a different part of the world. And what that's done is it's given this generation, Generation Z, a common language globally. And the last time we saw that really happen was the Tower of Babel. And so we have a really unique season on our hands. I think this is a generation the world's been praying for, an entrepreneurial generation. It's the most entrepreneurial generation in history, the most diverse generation in history, the most innovative generation in history, probably the best looking generation in history. I mean, back in my day, kids were ugly and kids today, they like skip the awkward age. So I don't know what's going on with that. But like what we have is a generation. I remember praying, God, let there be a generation that rises up that would take hold of your call and innovate in a new way, not be held back by anything. And that's this. I think the generation that we've been praying for are sitting in our universities and our colleges and in our young adult ministries. And so if I could qualify any distinction now between these two and what access to digital technology has done is it's take us from a a society of consumers to a society of publishers. And what that means is back in the day, consuming was the end goal the consumer would get the product and consume it and make it their own in whatever way they wanted. And church is built for the consumer, by the way. Let's think about it, the way, where we have our cafes placed, the, what kind of coffee we serve, how we deliver our messages. You sit and you consume, and then you leave and you publish. You sit and you internalize, and you leave and externalize. Mm-hmm. But what phones have done and access to digital technology is you publish in the moment. You, you comment, you tweet, you share, you like, you add, you contribute, you whatever. And what that does is it creates a thought process for us to not only consume, but to, but to begin with consuming and end with publishing. And I believe that if our ministries and our churches and our approach to evangelizing the world doesn't wrap itself with a publishing mentality, people are going to tune out, not because they don't love God or are interested, but because we're giving God to them in a way that they can't digest anymore. That's good. And so my drive with Next Gen Ministries is to really get this on the map and start the conversation. I think that's incredible the way you summarize that and to think of it, how my mind's wandering as you're just talking, Pastor Terry, is you can meet a kid from Hong Kong who's 19 years old, attending a university there. You could sit next to him on an airplane, have a conversation for a half hour, follow each other on social media and be connected and integrated, although you're living in separate countries, separate lives for the rest of your life here on earth. You can share that digital connection. And, and likewise, there's people for the first time ever meeting on screens. You talk about 
marriages and weddings and the past couple of weddings that I've officiated, you ask the couple their story, where, where'd you meet? You know, was it church? Was it a coffee shop? Was it at college? And they're like, it was actually on an app. And so I think that the way that relationships are happening and the way that globalization and technology and entrepreneurship, all of these things impact our thinking as leaders. Yes. And so Terry, to, to dive one step into that for a second, something Mike and I have seen, both of us have watched, is the dynamic growth of RVLI, which is River Valley's Leadership Institute. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, for those who maybe they're a next-gen pastor like you are, they might be a youth pastor listening or a college pastor or um, overseeing a young adult ministry, but they want to start or strengthen an internship program. Yeah, Take yeah. us for a second. Will you share some insight on that? That's great. Yeah, I think when we think of internships, now you look in the business world and internships are, are generally competitive right? So you're competing with a group of other people to get it an internship in a certain place. That means if you fight hard to get into a certain location, then that, that business can use it how you want. And usually you're the person getting the coffee. The church world is totally different. Mm -hmm. Like it's not competitive at all. We're just happy that there's people who want to come work with us for free. Like, <laughs> and so it's not competitive. So it's harder and harder to ask people to go get coffee unless you're buying them coffee at the same time. You know what I'm saying? Right. And taking away that competitive edge, in my opinion, really can in some way dilute internships um, across the church world. Now, I'm not saying we need to make them competitive, but what I am saying is we need to offer something that's unique, okay? What is competitive about what we do? It's not getting in, but it's what we offer. And what I think the two biggest things that any internship in the church world should offer is access and opportunity. Yeah. Uh, people don't want title and they don't want a platform as much as they want access to individuals Mm -hmm. And they want opportunities to work it out. And if we can constantly give them access and opportunity, and I mean, I mean, setting up chairs is important. It's very important because I've seen attitude literally change from the beginning of a semester to an end of semester from I got to set up chairs. So I get to set up chairs and right. I'm not going to complain over something small, but that lack of complaining follows them and they have a lack of complaining everywhere else they go. I mean, they have a better heart and they have a better spirit, but we can't leave it there. What meetings can we give people access to? What conversations can we give people access to? Uh, are there conferences we're going to that we can find a way to get these people there as well? Because what I'm finding with an entrepreneurial generation is they're hacking their, one of the key features for millennials to Gen Z is they're hacking their education. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's no longer a four-year degree, five-year degree, six, seven, eight-year degree. If they can get it done in two years by getting access and opportunity to the right people, they're gonna do it. And what I found is as people engage RVLI, River Valley Leadership Institute, we've seen two kinds of people. Uh, people who are looking for their purpose and just trying to discover, and people who know exactly what they wanna do. Mm -hmm. Now the people looking for the purpose of trying to discover would be lifelong interns if we let them. Because they're close to leadership, uh, they get the opportunity to do ministry without actually having to step into it. You know, And that's the danger of an internship program. The second piece are people who are like, I know what I want and I'm going to go get it. And if you're not going to give it to me, I'm going to go somewhere else and find it. Yeah. And so I think access and opportunity causes both of those kinds of people to meet at a higher level. Um, and that's what we've really found to be a successful mix. How many access points can we give and how many opportunities can we give? Now, I'm going to say this. The one thing that makes those um, something precious to an individual is that we lead them into paying a price. Mm -hmm. Right? The very first thing that Jesus asks us to come and do is to come and die. You know, we die to ourselves, we pay a price, we bleed for this, you know. And if we give somebody an access point or a platform with a microphone or an opportunity, 
and they didn't pay a price, they're going to feel entitled and not empowered. But right. when you lead people into paying a price for something, I'm not talking about financial, but I'm talking about sacrifice in some respect, that entitlement turns into empowerment. And that's where access and opportunity really starts to make wins in that individual's life. I love that entitlement to empowerment. Yes. That's what we're seeing across the board. A lot of individuals desire some form of leadership and responsibility, but have never had the opportunities to, right. you know, access, you know, an internship or be a part of something like that. And that's super encouraging. I was just taking notes as you were talking and Pastor Terry, we know that you are not only passionate about internships and have led that well, yeah. but leading a ministry. So internships kind of segueing into leading a ministry. How can leaders balance, manage, steward the roles of overseeing a youth and young adult, maybe even a college ministry? Yeah. I mean, that's a million dollar question of all these plates are spinning. Yeah. And how yeah. do we be better leaders in regards yeah. to that? Yeah, I think one of the things that people try to do, especially next-gen leaders who are leading multiple ministries, is we try to find, make it all the same, but different right. expressions. And it's really hard because young adults is the first demographic that has nothing to do with age and everything to do with season of life. Totally. Uh, like you have kids, you have junior high, you have high school, um, you even have college, but college mixes in there with young adults where you can have a 20-year-old with two kids or a 29-year-old still in mom's basement trying to do a startup on, you know, getting their website up. And it's like, how do you reach all those people? So one key thing with young adults is I, I challenge every young adult pastor, even here at River Valley, pick your niche. Like who is your, who's your, who's your niche crowd that you could really invest in? Who's the niche crowd that's leaning in? And it might not be your 27 year old people who are married. They might be integrated into church life already, but you might find that that college age is more niche. Really lean into that, lean into who God has in front of you rather than trying to be everything for every single young adult out there. And so if we're leading ministries, it's important if you're leading all of it that we lead through others. Um, now, there's a huge conversation about management versus leadership. I would argue that it's the opposite ends of a single spectrum. Mm -hmm. And for each situation, you might need to slide down to management and another time you need to slide up to leadership. And all of us have that ability to both manage and lead. And I think the danger is leaning too far on one side for too long. And so as you lead multiple ministries or multiple expressions, even if you're a bivocational pastor that's leading a young adult in the youth ministry in yeah. a 500 church, you're still having to push um, leadership down to others so that they could do the work of the ministry while you work on the ministry. Does that make sense? Yep. Completely. And <clears throat> I think that even going back to what you said about access points and opportunities, one of the key transitions I see in life is the transition from a parent to a student. And when a student gains access to something called car keys and begins to have opportunities to drive, it's a transition from childhood to adulthood. And even church ministry, it's like you talked about kids, you talked about youth. Those are ministries where the parents are bringing the kids. They're bringing the students to show up. Young adults and college or interns, that's all self started that's self-led yeah. you're electing to be there to have access to have opportunities yourself yet i think as leaders how we approach transitions from kids to youth youth to college college to young adults and young adults to the greater church um, in the yeah. whole life spectrum of a, of a growth of an mm -hmm. individual is really really key and mm -hmm. so pastor terry can you talk about some of those 
transition points or how can leaders win in transition? The greatest vehicle for transition is community, period. Like I can create a plan. I could have special events. I can create little mixers where people mix like, you have a senior in high school mixing with a sophomore freshman in college that's also Christian. They're like, hey, it's safe up here. And they're trying to make that person feel comfortable. But what I find is um, community um, and an undeniable community is the greatest vehicle for transition. Now, there are deniable communities. Like people choose not to go to church or choose not to be a part of a life group. But how can you make that community undeniable? Something that people will deny every other thing in their life to be a part of that community. And that's a question that every leader and practitioner has to answer for themselves. But what I found to be really effective is for communities to be created before transitions are needed, need to be made. So um, in our youth, kids to youth ministries, we have junior high students leading on weekends, forming relationships with these kids. So when that transition happens, those leaders, those junior high kids meet the new ones coming up and continue community. That's a key piece. If they're forming community for the first time when these kids come up, we miss it. And it's the same with high school, seniors graduating into college. Is there a way that we're connecting to where they're not just showing up to college events, but they're showing up to college communities where they're being already accepted? So when they step into the, that, that new paradigm, that new context, um, they have their community. They have their tribe in place. That's the biggest reason why students walk away from their faith after high school is because they have no community to plug it into. It has nothing to do with their love for Jesus. It has everything to do with being lonely. And so if they don't have a community to plug their faith into, they're going to walk away. And so the biggest vehicle truly, like you were saying, Josiah, um, and the biggest point for transition is going to be community. Uh, so how are you creating the communities? And do you have a diversity in communities? I'm not yeah. talking about eth- you know, ethnic. What I am talking about is, are there different communities where everybody you encounter can get plugged into? Mm-hmm. Or is there just one flavor? Because you got those weird Christians in college that are like, hey, nobody want to hang out with them, but other weird Christians. And so you need to have like a diversity of community to where there's different flavors of this, even if it is small groups, to really welcome in that next class coming up. Yeah, I think that's awesome to think about because even leading on a college campus with Josiah and myself, we're seeing that there are so many different things happening with the group of 20, 30 students. You have the gamers, you have the adventurers, you have the girls that are like, we wanna do paintball with the guys. And the guys are like, we don't want girls there. So I mean, we're like, how do we, how do we accommodate and like not just host an event that accommodates yeah. everything, yeah. but to empower yeah. the students who are passionate and have those leaders in place who are passionate about those same things. So it's so comical to get into a room with 20, 30 and just start asking students questions or young adults questions yeah. like, where are you at? I'm like, I want to be married yesterday. And one's like, I don't even, not even on my radar, you know? So it's so yeah. funny to see and hear that, but we definitely agree with the community um, is a huge thing that they are desiring to yeah. avoid that yeah. loneliness and not fall into the social media aspect and live vicariously through everybody else on social yeah. media yeah. but to discover what god has for them as an individual and just kind of discovering where god's taking them where they're going what they're doing and i think as leaders um, and pastors or volunteer leaders however whatever capacity we're serving we have a very significant role and pastor terry i know that you are one that loves talking about leadership yeah. that is a huge anthem that I feel like you have kind of pioneered in the hearts of many people who've been a part of your ministry, whatever capacity. So um, can you just explain to us why is leadership important? 
Yeah, um, <clears throat> I think that word has become a very big word in the world today. Yes. It's the biggest word and the most diluted word. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'll first, it's the biggest word because it calls us up to something that we feel is unattainable. We, a lot of people think that for anybody to fall, like if a regular average Joe on the street is thinking, I'm going to be a leader, they're also equally thinking, who's going to follow me? What do I have to offer of value to their lives? And can I steward that? To the 17-year-old kid on social media that says, I lead everybody. I'm the best leader on the planet. And that's a very diluted form of leadership. Mm -hmm. And I think it's very important because especially in the church world, we use leadership as a semantic for anybody older or an authority. Mm -hmm. that's, not, that's not always the right application of that word. Um, I, Jesus nailed it, you know, when we're talking about the shepherd leader, the one who serves the sheep, feeds the sheep, always leading the sheep to the next best place to eat, you right. know? Um, and there's a lot of shepherds that lead the sheep so the sheep can watch a shepherd eat instead. And I think it's important that we as leaders really correct uh, that line of thinking and apply a proper line of thinking to anybody who's in our world. Also, uh, leading leaders rather than leading followers is important. And there's a fine line between leading leaders and leading followers, and it's a posture of the person in charge. And if that person in charge becomes an individual that wants, like, I want to make my ceiling the floor of everybody else that's in my way. Mm -hmm. I really do. That means my ceiling is also an elevator, so I'm not slowing down as I'm going up. You know what I mean? But I'm also yeah. trying to find ways for people to stand there as well. And I think as we talk about leadership, it really does release the next generation of people who will be taking over um, to do it well. You mm -hmm. know, our example is everything. Some people say that example is the main thing. I'll say example is the only thing. Because when you're leading, if what comes out of your mouth is different from your example, it does matter. And so we have to embody true leadership and invite other people to that space and understand that somebody else's potential does not, does not threaten our success. That's great. And, and if you're a good leader, I think Scott Hagen said that from North Central, so I ain't gonna, I'll, I'll steal it, but I'll give him credit. Uh, if I have somebody under me that is just like a young gun that's great at ministry and better than I was when I was their age, and they're the new flavor and everybody loves them, there's a lot of leaders that try to squash that. But if you could teach leadership properly, then what you understand is you learn how to fan the flame, okay? Because the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, fan the flame of the Spirit in your life, fan the flame of those gifts, you know? And if you don't fan that flame in other people, you're doing something contrary to what uh, God wants us yeah. to do in ourselves. And so it's very important that we as leaders um, help other people to release that potential and step into the next space that they're called to. Well, you talk about fanning the flame, that gets me fired up. And the word picture, Terry, that gets gets me fired up is you talk about, for example, your ceiling becoming Micah's floor. Yeah, yeah. You, you talk about then you're on an elevator ride and you haven't gotten off. You're still <laughs> you're still leveling up and you're still yeah. and so is she and so are those following her. And so we just meet so many people wanting to take their leadership to the next level, right. ourselves right. included. And one of the things you and I've talked about in the past is kind of leadership gains, taking your own personal development to the next level and yes. um, building your personal development plan, having a plan in place. And will you talk about that of how can yeah. leaders who want to push the button to the next level, it's yeah. not that easy, but no. are some things that they can do practically to get to the next level? What are they? Yeah, for I think a first understanding when it comes to taking your leadership to the next level is understanding the higher you go, the less it's you. Uh, and the more it's God in you yeah. and through you. Um, like there's so many people like, I'm gonna keep my personality intact. 
and I'm going to use my influence to impose my flavor of everything. And, and it's less of you. We, when we win people to Jesus, we don't, we don't try, what I'm not doing, and there's a fine line, I'm not trying to win people to a Christified version of Terry. Mm-hmm. When I'm trying to win people to Jesus Christ. Right. And there's less of Terry the higher I go in my walk with God. Uh, as we grow from glory to glory, there is less of me and there is more of Jesus. So there is a, a note of sacrifice at every level. Um, we can't lead people to places we've never been. Mm-hmm. We always, and when we, and when we hit our ceiling of our leadership capacity, we got to break through. And sometimes so many people have a trouble breaking through because it hurts to bump your head on a ceiling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Every time you bump your head on a ceiling and your life, you start blaming the ceiling and you start blaming the room for being too small. The same room that was big and spacious for you, you're now outgrowing because of your wow. faithfulness. So wow. you're hitting the ceiling and blaming the room for it when in reality it's sacrifice. And every time you hit the ceiling, let more and more of you falls off as you become the person that God's created you to be. And too many leaders, they cash it in. They tap out. They say hitting my head on the ceiling hurts too much. But that's the process by which God knocks off a lot of the things that can't go with us to the next level. And if we're willing to break through, mm-hmm. then we'll see God do great things. Because God never places his vision, his next steps for you in the same room as you. He always places it in the next wow. room above you. And if you want God's next step, I can't pray for God's next step and re- without getting breakthrough from the room I'm in. And so as we grow in step by step in leadership, we have to release. We have to die to ourselves. We have to be willing to go through the pain process of sacrifice and hitting our head on that ceiling, knowing that finally we'll get to a place to where we can break through. And who breaks through on the other side is more of Jesus and less of you, you know? And when we do, that's when we receive our next steps. And I believe a lot of people are like, God isn't moving me from this place. I think God is ready to. I think there's a lot of people who just don't want to do it, go through the pain, pain yeah. of it, you know, and that's refining. And I think when people embrace that, they see their leadership explode and multiply. That's great. Pastor Terry, I remember um, learning from you and it was a breakthrough moment for me in leadership, recognizing this concept that I want to ask you about. And it's open handed leadership. And I think yeah. sometimes when we are leaders, we're like, we have the vision. We would know where God's taking us. Now everybody get on board and let's go. You know, it's like, and then we become like this commander. Boom, 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 boom. you like, we want all of our ducks in a row, but it's yeah. like, you can't make people serve your vision. You need to yeah. learn how to cast that vision, but you need to have yeah. a humble heart, a humble approach. Um, and knowing that God has placed you there. But if you turn around and there's nobody following you're a self-proclaimed leader, essentially, or you failed along the way. Something's gone wrong, right? <laughs> yeah, right, 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 right. And one right. concept that I, I love that you've taught about um, probably several times, but I remember specifically you talking about open-handed leadership. And one of the, this is one of the most helpful things that even when I mentor girls or when Josiah and I lead, I will, I will talk about what you have taught, taught us through this in saying, hey, here's the difference between open-handed leadership and closed-handed leadership. Can you go there and kind of share with the listener, what does that concept mean and how have you been able to walk that out or maybe teach others about that? Yeah, so um, I'm I'm a driver. I can drive any process and I can work hard and long for a long time. I will outlast hard seasons. I will grow. I'll squeeze water out of a rock. I'll figure this out. You know? <laughs> but I also know that if I lead my people that way, I'll burn them out because that's the way I run. And sometimes when I'm not getting the results I want, sometimes I squeeze a little harder and squeeze a little harder and squeeze a little harder and try to control outcomes more than anything else. Right. Here's the thing. Closed-handed leadership is when you want control. 
nobody can follow you and you're not giving anything out. And there's only one thing you can do with a closed hand and that's make a fist. Mm -hmm. Okay. Open-handed leadership is releasing everything to the body of Christ and it gives you influence. If I want to control everything, then I'll never have influence in somebody's life. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have people following me, but I'll never have influence in their life. Mm -hmm. And if I open my hand, I have to relinquish control, but I'll have all the influence in the world. And, and a leader needs to make that decision. Do I want to have influence in this person's life? Because if so, I can't control what they do or their outcomes, but I can influence them. Right. Or do I want to control what they do and never have influence ever again? As a leader, so many people are afraid to open their hand uh, because they know when they open their hand, they release the vision into the, into the body of Christ. And the body of Christ might actualize it in a different way than you imagined it as the leader. And there's so many leaders that are like, no, God gave me the vision. He showed me how it's supposed to look. I'm going to make everybody do it this way. But as a leader, the vision will always begin with you, but it'll end with the body of Christ. That's good. If the plan for advancing the kingdom was you, then the pulpit would advance the kingdom all over the world. But it's not. The body of Christ is God's plan to advance the kingdom. Yeah. And that's where the vision takes on a diversity and a richness and multiple dimensions so that could reach everybody everywhere. And so when I keep my hand closed, I only see one expression of that vision. Right. When I open my hand, I release control and I release the right to see it happen the way I want it. And I trust God to do it through the body of Christ. And that's the difference between open-handed and closed-handed leadership. I want influence and not control. And that's where we have to really go to the Lord and say, all right, Lord, help me to be able to do that in a consistent way. That's awesome. That's really fantastic. Open-handed leadership and closed-handed leadership and... Let me ask you this, Terry, when it, when it comes to young leaders, you are encountering a lot of them. And what has God been downloading to your heart to download into young leaders in this generation? Wow. Okay. Uh, so <laughs> there's so much here. This is just right now. I, I bet you'll have something totally different in like a few months. But uh, to, ask me this summer, it might be a different thing. But right now it's this. It's just because you have knowledge doesn't mean you have experience. Mm -hmm. um, we live in a society where somebody will take on, have more access to knowledge by the time they're 15 than people did 50 years ago in their entire lifetime. Wow. Um, That's crazy. That means somebody who lived 85 years until 85 years old, 50 years ago, access the same amount of information as 15 year olds do today. Mm -hmm. And that's insane. And with that proliferation of knowledge, as the word says, knowledge puffs up. With the proliferation of knowledge comes this puffed up idea that I got it. I understand it. Don't tell me this. Don't tell me that. But knowledge really gets its, gets its legs when we practice it. That goes back to internships and opportunity and releasing influence into the hands of other people. Um, and I would say to this next generation of leaders, if you're going to seek out the knowledge, also seek out the experience just as passionately. Yeah. And if you can't, don't, don't let that knowledge qualify you. Let that experience qualify you, the, the way you've exercised that. Because as you guys know, how much, like, uh, let me ask you a question. How much of what you learn in college do you apply every single day? Right? You know, so you'll apply maybe, maybe like 5% of it on a daily basis, if that, right? And yet, what if you never applied it, you just knew it, and you talked to people about everything you knew? Hmm. There'd be really no legs to it. You couldn't really filter out what really works and what doesn't. And to leaders today, I would say, and young people today, um, pursue experience opportunities to flex that knowledge as much as you prefer uh, pursue knowledge. Second, really find a mentor that can speak into your life without having any fear of you talking back. Uh, 
I, I think it's important because we always want to push back and talk back and say, well, that's what you think, but I disagree. By having somebody that can speak into your life mm-hmm. without any fear of you talking back, we'll learn how to speak freely and how to develop and sharpen you in deep and amazing ways. Uh, another one would probably be, don't be afraid to do what God's put in your heart right now. Mm, yeah. Uh, you, you don't have to wait. You don't, you don't need per, can you don't need confirmation for something that God has given you conviction to do. You know, confirmation is something that we do when we don't believe what God told us in the first place. And we need to take that kind of conviction that God gives us and say, Lord, I'm going to run this out. I'm going to run it with my leaders, with my pastors, but I'm going to exercise this because I believe that as I do, you're going to give me more. Mm-hmm. And I would say, do it now. I mean, the most entrepreneurial ideas in the world, according to Fast Company, that magazine, is between the ages of nine to 15 years old. Wow. Like, it's insane. You got nine-year-olds asking for a YouTube channel. I wanted a G.I. Joe. Like, when I was nine, they want a YouTube channel so that they could publish. And you have teenagers doing something that young adults are questioning whether or not they have permission to do. Right. Look, nobody's closing the door. So as long as there isn't a closed door, pursue, create, innovate, iterate, try to figure out how to how to take what's in your heart and put it out there because there's no time in history like right now where you can do it in a rapid way and meet success and meet success more quickly. So I would say really run with that thing that God has in your heart because we need it. It's important. The experts right now that are teaching everybody else are waiting for that next group of people to come up and to do what's in their heart because I believe that God has put the answer to the next generation in the hearts of the next generation. That's so good. Wow. Terry, I, I really affirm what you just said because I was listening to something Erwin McManus said and he said about his college experience and he's a little older. He's like in his 60s and he said, I was prepared in my education for a world that no longer exists. And I just think of, I've been out of college for less than 10 years and yet I think the world I was prepared for through (laughs) education no longer exists either. And so I think that talking about applying what you know and learning and growing and experiencing and not being afraid to do what God's mm-hmm. placed on your heart is something that can echo straight into eternity. Yes, so. without a doubt, without a doubt. Well, Pastor Terry, we've run into the part of our series or our little segment today where we get to ask you five questions in okay. five minutes. Okay. Can you do it? I can do I'll, it. Okay, I'll go rapid fast if I can. Are you ready? Okay. To hey, I'm ready. He's leaning in, so I didn't know it was going to happen. All right. So, question one, Pastor Terry, is what has surprised you about college students and young adults and the next generation the most thus far? It might be different six months from now. <laughs> yeah. I would say what surprised me the most is the ability to make real what's internal. There is less and less fear in individuals when it comes to pioneering something new. That's awesome. Well, Did that come my, through? Yeah. My question is next, and it's simple. Describe yourself in five words or less. Oh, 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 I only got four minutes left, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> one word a minute, maybe. It'll be 45 seconds. Um, let me see here. I don't know. I hate talking about myself. I hate it because I don't know. Um, I would say... I would say, all right, let me just say this. Um, 
You can pick five different words. It doesn't have to be one sentence with five words. Great. That makes it a lot easier. Okay. <laughs> pioneering. Pioneering. Um, developer. Um, passionate. Um, servant. And launcher. Oh, that's good. Well said. If any of you know Pastor Terry, you know that all five of those are absolutely true. All right, question number three. What is your favorite story of life change? My favorite story of life change? Um, I would truly have to say that my favorite story of life change is honestly my own. And the reason I think everybody should have that as their favorite story, but the reason I think it's my favorite story is because the family I come from mm -hmm. is highly dysfunctional. If you would have met Terry back in the day before he became a believer and had, let change, had, had Jesus change his life, I, like, I don't know if I'd be alive today. I truly don't. And my wife always says, it's truly amazing that Jesus has you where you are today. Looking at your family and looking at you, I would have never guessed. And, and knowing, and I think the favorite part about the story is the grace of God. Hmm. That's good. I shouldn't That's good. be here doing what I'm doing at the level I'm doing. I don't deserve it. I, I did nothing to merit it. And the 23 times of somebody inviting me to Jesus, the discipleship, being discipled into Jesus Christ, the opportunity to learn and grow and still have the favor of the Lord. It's like, it, it shouldn't have happened. Healing from uh, clinical depression, uh, the ability to be married and stay married for 16 years and adopt two beautiful children. I don't deserve this. And the life change that happens in my life, even today, as a result of what God started all those years ago, is for me one of the most miraculous things in the world. So I know it most intimately and it's something that I can speak from. Love it. As powerful, God's grace is a beautiful concept. That's It's true of all of us. That could be said of all of us, that we don't earn it, we haven't deserved it, but he chose us. Amen. So let me ask you this. Would you be willing to tell us one of the most epic failures you've experienced in life or ministry? <sighs> Okay, I'm gonna get super personal. Right. Uh, I would say one of the most epic failures in my, and it's like, and it's sobering because it really helped me to understand what God's called me to and what he hasn't called me to. Mm -hmm. and, it's, and it happened uh, a few years back. I was leading, started to lead at higher and higher levels, travel more, things like that. And I started to treat people like they were boxes to be checked and not people to be led not because I didn't love them or regard them, but because I got so busy that I was just trying to get work done. Mm -hmm. And when you hit your defaults in your life, your default is either disengaging from everything or getting it all done. And my intention was not to make people feel that way, but in the name of getting results and getting work done, I just treated people like check off boxes instead of as people to be developed and discipled. And that led to a breakdown in relationship in such a way that um, I was caught very well. By, by people who love me and that people who want to pour into me. And thank God, every one of those relationships are still intact today. But for me, I saw how close I became to being one of the statistics, being one of the stories of a leader and a pastor who lost sight of what that call was and, and the calling of truly people. And had I not self-corrected, because it's at that point that if you become strong in leadership and somebody corrects you, you can either become, um, you can either become humbled or you can become delusional and say, this isn't it. This isn't me. No, I, I know my intentions. And I chose to take the humble route because everything in the Bible points to humbling yourself. Right. And so um, it's, it's, it's a lesson that's been teaching me since that day. And I'm so grateful for it. 
That's so good. Thank you for being vulnerable and sharing. I think that is a great reminder for every single one of our listeners or future leaders to constantly, you know, be, be mindful and be self-aware in that regard and take the humble route. All right, Pastor Chair, we have one question left. If you could tell a group of college pastors and young adult ministry leaders one thing, what would you leave them with today? One thing that I'm going to leave you with today for the rest of my life. Um, <laughs> I would, uh, okay, don't, don't overestimate what you can do in six months and underestimate what you can do in six years. What I mean by that is don't overestimate when you want to put your hand to something tangible and a ministry in front of you, don't be discouraged because in six months it's not done. But don't underestimate what can be accomplished in six years because if you stay on it and stick to it, what happens in six years will eclipse your current dream. And so stay in the space of grace, do the thing that the Lord has put in front of you and do it well. And as you build that, the Lord will put the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. And there's too many leaders that tap out early simply because they have overestimated what they can accomplish in six months. And so they've tapped out for the next six years. Wow. And those next six years will be the most rewarding of your life. That's awesome. That's good. <clears throat> that applies to be so true because I think it was about six years ago that I met you at a conference. And then you moved to Minneapolis shortly after that. And I shared yeah. some themes, some visions from God with you. And um, you spoke some things prophetically. And I thought maybe they'd happen in the next six months. <laughs> and it, it's a process yeah. of time. And maybe now, maybe I have a little bit of a glimpse even more into what yeah. God's doing or what he's about to do. Yeah. And it's six years later. And I just think that that's so true that... God gives us these dreams. He gives us a glimpse of the future, a glimpse of a mm -hmm. preferred future, a, a vision, and it sparks hope and drive, and it energizes us to go to the next level and right. die to ourselves. and at the same time, it takes time to unfold, and we, we don't want to wish away the now, worrying about the future, and so Pastor Terry, thank yeah. you so for not treating us like boxes, but treating us like people <laughs> today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're applying what we've learned. We're, we're going to try to speak from experience today. But thanks so much for joining us. You can find out more, listeners, about Terry Parkman, Next Gen Ministry, and River Valley Church when you connect with us in the show notes on our website at youngadults.today, as well as across our social media platforms is at youngadults.today. Till next time, this is Josiah and Micah with Terry. All right, thank you. Awesome. Perfect. Thank you so thank much. Thank you, guys. I appreciate yeah. Thanks for listening to today's conversation on the Young Adults Today podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Right now